0: Nestled by the banks of the River Aubeg in a scenic valley in North Cork, Donorail is one of Ireland's true hidden gems. In the 400 acres of dedicated parkland, you can discover over 400 years of gardening history. Our audio guide will lead you through this beautiful landscape and tell you the stories, history and heritage of Donorail a truly unique and atmospheric place. As well as its unique horticultural heritage, Donorail has had many associations with notable characters through the centuries. The association with the St Ledger family has to be one of the most constant of any large estate in Ireland. The St Ledger family are first mentioned in connection with Ireland In 1537, Henry VIII appointed Sir Anthony St. Leger to a Commission of inquiry, and to monitor the Pale, which was the English administrative centre in Ireland. The Pale stretched along the east coast of Ireland, from southern Ulster to Waterford, and St. Leger had the task of implementing English law, customs and language within this area. He was notably successful at this task and was rewarded with a knighthood and appointed Lord Deputy of Ireland. The St. Leger family established themselves in Munster and bought lands here at Donorail. For the next 350 years the St. Legers maintained a powerful presence involved in the social and cultural development of the region. Fourteen generations of the family lived within the confines of the expanding domain from the 1630s to the 1960s. The continuity of St. Ledger ownership of land in and around Donorail continued until the sale of the property to the state by Lady Donorail in 1969. Donorail Park and House is now under the care of the Office of Public Works. Standing in front of the gate, you have travelled nearly 400 years back in time. These gardens were first planted in the 1630s and were the very height of fashion and sophistication in Ireland and England in the 1600s. The St. Ledgers established themselves in Donorail, succeeding the Sinon family. The Sinons had been living here since the 12th century and constructed many strong defensive tower houses in the region. One of the famous tower houses built by the Sinan family near Donorail is Castle Pook. Castle Pook is thought to be haunted by a good-natured spirit, locally known as the Pooka. Legendary stories of Castle Pook and its resident spirit were recounted to William Shakespeare by his friend, the great Elizabethan poet, Edmund Spencer. Shakespeare supposedly recreated the Pook character as Puck in his magical, otherworldly play A Midsummer Night's Dream. The poet Edmund Spencer would have been very familiar with the story of the Pooka, as he himself lived near Donorail and Castle Pook, in a castle at Kilcolman, He had been granted over 3,000 acres of land in North Cork due to his work with the Lord Deputy of Ireland. Spencer's greatest work, The Fairy Queen, was said to have been partly written at Kilcolman in the 1590s. Extracts from the poem recall the lush and bountiful landscape that is still a sight to behold throughout North Cork. There the most dainty paradise on ground, itself doth offer to his sober eye, in which all pleasures plenteously abound, and none does others happiness enigh. The painted flowers, the trees up shooting high, the dales for shade, the hills for breathing space, The trembling groves, the crystal running by, and that which all fair works doth most a grace, the art which all that wrought appeared in no place. Spencer was inspired by the beauty in nature that surrounded him. His house and family were attacked in 1598 and the family had to flee for their lives. They ended up in London, but Spencer died shortly after their arrival. It is said that at his funeral, his coffin was carried by poets who threw verses and pens into his grave before it was sealed. He was buried beside Geoffrey Chaucer in Westminster Abbey. Thirty years after the death of Spencer, Sir William St. Leger built a fortified or defended manor house adjacent to Donnerale Castle, which was located beside this walled garden. This manor house greatly impressed those that saw it, including St. Leger's great friend and ally, Sir Richard Boyle, the first Earl of Cork. Richard Boyle had arrived in Ireland in 1588 with a mere 27 pounds and over the next few years rose through the ranks to become the wealthiest and most successful man in Ireland. Another powerful family that became connected to the St. Ledgers were the O'Briens, who were a powerful Irish clan who reputedly traced their lineage back to the great 11th century figure Brian Baru. Sir William's daughter, Elizabeth St. Leger, married Murrah O'Brien and became Lady Inchiquin. Their first child was called William O'Brien. It is thought that these gardens we are standing in front of may have been constructed to celebrate the birth of William, heir to the title Inchiquin. The 1600s were a turbulent time in Ireland and land ownership became very fluid as wars and rebellions stalked the land. Many of the wealthy Irish families were forced to flee for their own safety. After Doneraile Castle was burned in 1645, Elizabeth and Murrah fled to France, where no doubt they were impressed by the fine planned gardens that were being created in the magnificent palaces. In the 1660s, affairs in Ireland had settled down somewhat, and Donorail was the scene of another celebration. Elizabeth and Murrah's son William was of age to be married. This was another opportunity for the St. Ledger and O'Brien families to secure alliance, status and wealth, and to formalise a friendship that had first been forged in the 1630s. William's chosen bride was Margaret Boyle, Richard Boyle's granddaughter. Margaret was a very well-connected woman. Not only was her grandfather the richest man in Ireland, but her father was the first Earl of Orrery. It is thought that the second 17th century gardens, which were constructed in the 1660s, were built to commemorate the marriage of William O'Brien and Margaret Boyle. The St. Ledgers of Donnerale further advance their alliances, connecting themselves with important political and wealthy families in Ireland. Standing in front of the gate to the gardens, you can see that there is a significant drop to the entrance. This is the first of three precisely laid out terraces. These three terraces run down to the River Aubeg, which flows at the base of the garden. Each of the three terraces here at Donorail had a formal garden with planted beds, laid out in symmetrical patterns and divided by gravel beds. This parterre style of gardening began in Renaissance France and reached its most perfect execution at the gardens at Versailles and Fontainebleau. A famous 17th century parterre garden was recorded at Wilton in England, but this garden sadly no longer exists today. Landscape designers like Isaac de Cow, who laid out the gardens at Wilton, were pioneering this style, and the gardens here at Doneraile were probably influenced by those of Wilton, Fontainebleau and Versailles. Due to the powerful connections the St. Ledgers had nurtured, they could visit and see these innovative garden designs first-hand in Britain and France and they could transplant the ideas and inspiration back home to North Cork, where they became the trendsetters in landscape gardening in Ireland. Their gardens were built to show the power and influence of the family, and to show how well-travelled and cosmopolitan they were. It was recorded in 1687 by Sir Richard Cox, that the St. Ledger's had a fine house and curious park adjoining. The word curious at that time meant that the park at Donnerale in the late 1600s was ingenious or ahead of its time. A map still in existence from 1728 shows the extent of this curious park. One garden stretched down to the river Aubeg. That is the garden in front of us. Running in a north south direction. The other garden was constructed to the side of this and extended to the left in an east west direction and is little evident above the ground today. The garden in front of us is all that materially remains of the two curious gardens and is truly unique. ...as there are few examples of large, formal parterre gardens dating back to the 1600s left in Ireland. The remains here at Donorail are a fantastic historical blueprint... ...and testament to the status the family strove for. These gardens were the beginning of the St. Leger's contribution to gardening history in Ireland... The height of the massive rubble, limestone and brick wall dominates the space. It stands at over four and a half metres, nearly 15 feet in height. Inside the garden, due to the raised ground level from the tons of imported earth, the walls are around two metres, or seven feet high. The wall is cased with brick, which was made locally, but the core of the wall is limestone rubble, If you look at the base of the wall, you can see that it is much thicker than the rest. Four hundred years ago, when they were laying out and constructing the terraced gardens, approximately 30,000 tonnes of soil was brought into the garden to create the terraces. The weight of soil caused immense pressure on the enclosing walls, so they needed to be reinforced and thicker at the base to hold the soil in the garden. The thick base walls are known as a batter and the walls enclose an area of nearly three acres. These gardens were the high status markers of the domain at Donnerail Park in the 1600s. The surrounding landscape of the domain would have been used in very functional ways. Fish ponds were a feature of the landscape and it is said that sir richard boyle brought tench and carp on a ship to ireland and donated some to donoreale these were incredibly rare and exclusive species at that time the fish ponds provided a great food resource for the st ledgers in the 16 and 1700s but by the 1800s they had become more of a decorative garden feature the fish ponds, formalised in the 18th century, are located to the southeast of the house and are well worth a visit. Today, they are considered to be the largest formal stretch of still water extant in Ireland. Dr Charles Smith visited the park in 1750 and wrote, Donnerale is indebted for the greatest part of its beauty to the fine house situated on rising ground facing into the Aubeg, which is formed into a fine cascade and reservoirs. Now that we have moved away from the walled terrace garden dating to the 1600s, inspired by the French courts, we move forward in time to the 1700s and a capability brown style of landscape. Capability Brown was actually called Lancelot Brown and was a landscape architect who influenced the style of gardens in Britain and Ireland in the 18th century. He was always able to see that landscapes had a great capability for improvement, hence the name Capability Brown. Although he never worked in Ireland, his distinctive landscape design became very popular here He pioneered a style that shunned enclosed formal gardens and focused instead on open landscapes and natural vistas. However, to create a natural effect, a lot of manipulation of the landscape had to be carried out. The River Aubeg, which is a central feature of Donnerail, was harnessed and diverted so that channels and islands could be created. An elaborate dam was constructed sometime between 1728 and 1750, and this dam fed water from the river into a canal that cascades over a weir into this large pool in front of us. A sense of space and freedom was important to landscape designers, and that is what they strove for when creating this 18th-century landscape here at Donorail. One of the key ideas behind the landscaping of the 18th century was natural pastoral scenes, and this meant that planting flowers was not a priority. The landscaping ideology was focused on the overall vista rather than the development of species of flowers. Many types of trees were brought into the park in the 1700s, and some of those trees are still standing today. Larch trees, thought to date from 1738, can be seen here in front of the house. The Duke of Athol in Scotland sent over seeds to introduce the larch tree to Ireland. Other specimen trees that can be seen throughout the park are oaks, cherry, yew, sycamore, redwoods and lime trees. The idea was to create a landscape that looked natural But of course, nothing was left to chance. Trees were planted to hide fences and boundaries, and specimen trees were planted in isolation to create a feeling of space and freedom. To have the right to impart 1,000 acres of prime agricultural land to pleasure and pleasing vistas gives us an insight into the fashionable interests of the family in the 17 and 1800s. When the house was handed over to the state in 1969, Over 100 boxes of estate documents dating from the 1570s identified the wealth of the family generated from the vast tracts of land they had accumulated, particularly in North Munster. Income generated from rents on lands and from other enterprises like sawmills, which were run on the estate, allowed the family to develop an extensive parkland in the 18th and 19th centuries. The house, nestled here in the landscaped grounds, has been ranked by the Irish Georgian Society as one of the country's top ten period buildings and settings. It is thought that the core of the building was constructed in the late 1690s. After Doneraile Castle and Manor House was burned for the second time in the 1690s, a decision was taken by the family to move further into the estate. This house was probably constructed around that time. A major reconstruction was undertaken in the middle of the 18th century. This was overseen by the architect Isaac Rothery and was commissioned by Hayes St. Ledger fourth Viscount of Donnerale. One of the main developments at the time was the addition of the bow-ended facade that gives Doneraile Court such a distinctive look. Other additions were made in 1805 after a fire and in the early 1820s when the porch was added. The house is facing northwards which is unusual. The family wanted to wake up and see sunlight over the planned vista in front of them every morning. Everything laid out in front of us was planned to make the landscape look as natural as possible. The vista sweeps all the way up to the skyline. There are clever design features which are hidden from view, which help to create this managed pastoral scene. One of those features is known as a ha-ha ditch. This is a ditch which keeps deer enclosed in a certain area without large unsightly fences. The ha-ha has a sloping ditch and a vertical wall which is impossible for the deer to traverse. The family wanted to see the deer but wanted to keep them at a distance. Deer were probably introduced to the park here at Donorail in the mid 1600s and would have been hunted for sport and their meat. The deer died out on the estate in the early 1900s, but species like fallow, red, and sika deer were reintroduced in the 1980s. One of the most famous incidents to occur at Donorail Court dates back to the 1700s. Arthur, the first Viscount of Donorail, was living in the house with his family at that time. Arthur was a Freemason. Freemasonry is one of the world's oldest fraternal societies and had been established in Ireland since the early 1700s. There were no lodges or meeting halls established in Ireland in the early years of Freemasonry so meetings had to be held in secret in the houses of the masons. Masonic meetings were held regularly at Donorell Court. On one occasion, Arthur's daughter Elizabeth had been reading quietly in the library. Her father was unaware of her whereabouts and, assuming she was in some other part of the large house, commenced the Masonic meeting. Elizabeth had dozed off while reading, concealed in the room, but upon awakening heard the proceedings of the meeting. As she tried to escape, unnoticed, the lodge guard caught her and brought her back to the group. Women were forbidden from becoming Freemasons, but on this occasion the rule was overlooked as Elizabeth had already heard so much. The only option was to swear her in as a Freemason. Elizabeth was very proud of her association with Freemasonry. According to her obituary in the Leinster Journal, she was the only woman in the world who had the honour of being made a Freemason. Elizabeth was one of the foremost members of the family. Her son, St. Ledger Aldworth, inherited the estate from his uncle and resurrected the title Viscount Doneraile in 1785. The family continued to hold the title and lived at Doneraile until the mid 20th century. Hugh St. Ledger was a solicitor and sheep farmer and had lived in New Zealand. He and his wife took up residence in the court, but when he died in 1956, the title Viscount of Doneraile died with him. A claim to the title was made in the 1960s by Richard St. Leger who made great efforts to prove his lineage as his ancestor was an illegitimate son of a 19th century Lord Donorail. Despite the fact that the illegitimate son's mother went on to marry Lord Donorail, Richard's case was considered tenuous. It was brought before the House of Lords, but they ruled against Richard and the title, Viscount of Donorail is now in abeyance. Lady Doneraile, who continued to live in the house after the death of her husband, sold the house and the property to the state in 1969. The fourth Viscount of Doneraile, Hayes St. Ledger, was a noted sportsman and had a great love for animals. He had an unusual pet, a fox, which he had reared from birth. This fox was tame and accompanied Hayes on many journeys and outings around the area. The fox lived under a cubbyhole beside the stone steps in the courtyard. If you make your way over, you will see a groove in one of the steps, which was reputedly caused by the metal chain used to restrain the fox. The pet fox was beloved by all, timid and good-natured, until it was bitten by a stray dog in January 1887. On January 13th, Hayes and his coachman were about to travel to nearby Ballyvonnaire. When the coachman picked up the fox to put him into the coach, the fox attacked him and St. Ledger, biting them several times on their hands and arms. The fox was taken away to a vet, who confirmed the devastating news the fox had contracted rabies from the stray dog and had now infected the two men. Both men were advised to travel to Paris, where new discoveries were taking place under the direction of a leading chemist and microbiologist, Louis Pasteur, at the Pasteur Institute. A cure had been developed there which involved daily injections of a strain of the disease. Both men received treatment for around a month before they returned to Ireland. The coachman, Barrar, recovered well, but poor Hay St. Ledger suffered terribly as the disease soon took hold again upon his return. He died a few months later. It is thought that because the coachman had followed the habit of huntsman and washed his bites out with turpentine immediately after the incident occurred, he counteracted the virulency of the disease. In the 19th century, the gardening style changed again, and here at Donnerale we have examples of that change still preserved. The fashions changed from large open spaces ...towards a more picturesque style. Pleasure grounds and enclosed gardens, like the one you are now standing in, were created. The third Viscount of the second creation was an avid gardener, as was his daughter-in-law... ...May-Anne Grace Louise Lennox Cunningham, who was married to the unfortunate Hayes St. Ledger. May-Anne was a daughter of the chief clerk at the Foreign Office and had a keen interest in gardening. She developed a close correspondence with Sir William Hooker, who was, at the time, the director of the Royal Botanic Gardens at Kew. She established a trading network with him, and traded bog oak jewellery, Irish lace made from plants, and other local items in exchange for samples of living plants from the enormous array at Kew. As her father was chief clerk at the Foreign Office, he also aided her accumulation of exotic plant species as he requested samples to be sent from the four corners of the British Empire. Lady Donnerale created what was to become known as a mini-queue here at Donnerale. She had glasshouses growing exotic orchids and pineapples and had redwoods and other species growing in the parkland She was so renowned and held in such high regard by Sir Hooker that two garden plants were named after her, a begonia, which is now extinct, and an anemone, which is still in cultivation. Sir William dedicated the 84th volume of the successful Curtis's Botanical Magazine to Lady Donnerale and declared her to be a great admirer and successful cultivator of plants. Walk through the parterre gardens and you will find yourself in another world. The gardener's cottages were built in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. These cottages would have been the homes of the head gardeners. The height of the enclosing walls block out sound and the smell of wild garlic and box hedges lingers in the air. As you reach the end of the garden, if you look to the south you will see more gardens that have yet to be restored extending into the distance. Lady Donnerale had a keen interest in the development of these gardens and would have walked through these spaces with the head gardeners admiring her accumulation of exotic species from all over the world. The Triumphal Arch was constructed around the same time as the impressive porch on the front of Doneraile Court in the years 1820 and 1821. The design of the arch is influenced by classical architecture, with a pair of ionic columns on the outside. These are inspired by ancient Greek architecture and were very fashionable in the 19th century. The arch was designed by George R. Payne, who was noted for classical designs and modernising older buildings. He won commissions to work on Mitchelstown Castle, Adair Manor and Drumoland Castle. At Donorail, Payne was commissioned to create a great triumphal arch, which would fulfil a number of criteria for Viscount Donorail. Access into the park used to be through what was known as Fishpond Lane which led onto the main street of Donorail. Another entrance to the park was through Beach Walk, which is the current access for cars. None of these entrances provided the visitor with grand sweeping views of the lands and vistas. They were quite informal entrances which had been adapted over the 200 years that the park had been in existence at that stage. Viscount Donnerail wanted to create a grand, imposing entrance, which would lead onto the avenue and would sweep through the planned landscape to inspire awe in any visitor. The avenue was to be over a kilometre long, which was a drastic change from the former entrance at Fishpond Lane which was a mere 200-metre walk between Main Street Donorail and Donorail Court. However, controlling access to the park was not the only motivation for Viscount Donorail. As a leading member of early 19th century Irish aristocracy and possessing a close connection with the newly crowned King George IV, Viscount Donorail wanted to celebrate the coronation. George IV acceded to the throne in 1820. Rumour had it that he might pay a visit to the home of his great friends, the St. Ledgers. This spurred the Viscount into a programme of improvements, which included the new porch and new avenue and gate. Unfortunately for the Viscount, George, who visited Ireland immediately following his coronation in 1821, stayed in Dublin, and the anticipated visit to Donorail never transpired. The triumphal gate and gate lodge, completed for the coronation, were a testament to the skill not just of George R. Payne, but also the team of stonemasons that created such a fine limestone construction. The gateway stood triumphant until the last St. Ledger left the court in the 1960s. It was closed to the public in the 1990s due to safety concerns. The gateway, however, was recently restored and reopened in 2013. Today we can walk through and marvel at the ingenuity and planning of the architect, and the seamless construction and reconstruction of 19th- and 21st-century stonemasons. Donnerale Park and Court has stood proud for nearly 400 years. It has, within the walls of the immense park, unique remains of gardening history that is unparalleled elsewhere in Britain or Ireland. That fact alone makes the park a truly remarkable place. Today, the park and house are under the care of the Office of Public Works. When you are finished at the park, why not take a stroll into the estate village of Donnerail, which was planned in the early 1700s by the St. Ledgers. They planned a village which would match their aspirations in life and the layout has barely changed over time. The river Abeg meanders through the village, separating the church, fair green, and the estate from the broad, wide main street. The church is certainly worth a visit for any horse-racing enthusiasts, as it was the finishing post in the very first steeplechase in the world. In 1752... Edmund Blake and Cornelius O'Callaghan placed a wager to establish which of them had the faster horse. Setting off from St. John's Church of Ireland in Buttevant, the two men raced over the countryside for four miles at breakneck speed, jumping ditches, hurtling over stone walls and hedges, and flying alongside the banks of the Aubeg River in an incredible display of speed bravery, and horsemanship, both racing to reach St. Mary's Church here in Doneraile. History has forgotten which of the two men won the race, or even what they had wagered, but Blake and O'Callaghan have left horse racing enthusiasts with two terms, steeplechase and point-to-point, as their lasting legacy. Another resident of Donorail that left a lasting impression on the area was Canon Sheehan. He was a famous author, political activist and parish priest of Donorail from 1895 until his death in 1913. He was a prolific writer and his most famous novels are My New Curate, which was published in 1899, and *Glenanar* which was published in 1905. Tolstoy is reputed to have said that Canon Sheehan was the greatest living writer of his time. He was known as a champion of the poor and worked tirelessly to improve Donorail. A statue commemorating him stands proudly in front of the Catholic Church on Main Street. Walking along Main Street today, you can see many historic shopfronts and buildings. A sense of preservation of the streetscape is very much evident, giving the village a lovely atmosphere and character quite unlike any other in the region. We hope you've enjoyed this audio guide to Donorail Park. This guide was produced with assistance from the Office of Public Works, Donorail Development Association and Ballyhara Development Limited.